Hello. Hi, John. <clears throat> Hi, Merlin. How you, how you doing? Good. I thought I'd start the uh, show off with a throat clearing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. 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 It's a little uh, warm-up. It's just a warm-up. Just a taste of what's to come. <laughs> mm. Lots of throat clearing. It's This is the season where huh. clearing and coughing are part of my, my uh, extra communication level. John, as you know, I'm not an allergist, but I never had an allergy in my life until I moved to this godforsaken state. I used to get sick, knock on wood, I used to get sick about three and a half times more often in Florida, but it wasn't until I moved to California that I started waking up in the middle of the night sneezing and sneezing and sneezing. And and I'm led to believe that where you live in the Washington state area, it's very... What's well, not vernal? What do they call it? Verdant. Verdant? It's verdant. Is it bu- bucolic? <laughs> it's both. Um, sneezy. Both it's sneezy. It's sneezy. It's sneezy. It's grumpy. Mm. It's dopey now. Um, but the thing about it, uh, the Bay Area is that you have cat dander storms. <laughs> and it, and there, it's, a lot of it's not visible to the naked eye, but the cat, all the people that own cats up in the sort of wine country and Sausalito, that, that cat dander just sweeps down over the Bay. You got to take that, I think it's called a closing, when you go in with your real estate agent and you have to show, actually they prefer that you bring a cat with you if you're moving into the wine country. You need to show it. You're going to need to show that it's yours. It's like that uh, movie Green Card. Yeah, you show up with a cat on your shoulder with a little leash and they know that you're serious about living in, in wine country. little vest. A lot of, a lot of animals vest. have little vests here. <laughs> you know, they're uh, closer to where you live, they wear little leather vests. <laughs> well, if only it were a joke. Um, now, you had a cat allergy as a child, according to my research. Yes. And uh, do you did you shake that, or do you still are you still uh, exposed to dander and it causes problems? Well, the problem is that I love cats, mm. and they're, they're uh, really precious angels. They really are. Everyone is look a precious at that. angel. Would you look at that? Look at that. Uh, look at him doing that, that thing. The thing is, every cat is a shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's not I've known some I've known them all. I've known every kind of cat. And they're all shits. Yeah. If they were six feet tall, we would be fucked. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like you get a dog. Dogs well, we shouldn't get into the animal thing too much because we certainly have respect. As animists, we have respect for all creatures. That's right. That's right. But, but I mean I honestly believe that most dogs, like if you if you fell down and were crippled and couldn't get to a phone, they would do everything in their power to try and help you. They would they would bring you a beverage. They mm. would they would try and with their little sweet paws try and call. And I really think cats are literally just waiting to nibble on your toes. Well, yeah, if you fell down and couldn't get up, a cat would eat your face. Mm-hmm. They do it all the time. It happens constantly. And the more cats you get and that dander accumulates, yeah. I think they have cat meetings. And they're just waiting. They're waiting for an opportunity. You're going to well, slip you know, on some poop. You, you know this business about the cat, about cat poop. Yeah, uh, yeah, like, I, I do. I do. Yeah. I, 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 hope that's not a, I hope that's not a turns out because it really comports with my own experience. Ugh. But in any case, yeah. I decided I could not have cats mm. anymore. One, one, I had a, a cat showed up here on my porch, and I fell uh, madly in love with him. He was a wonderful guy, and he was killed by a car, <sighs> and it was devastating to me. And then I got a, uh, then I got another cat trying to fill the void in my heart, and that cat was a terrible person. Yeah, um, that cat had had um, just had it had a lot of issues. But as you know, I'm not one to forgive a person or cat 
being an asshole just because they have issues. John, you like, have a lot of tolerance for, for people of all kinds, including animals, but I think you also, you're, it seems like if you've got a reason, you're, you're going you're gonna to look out of the corner of your eye when that, when that guy comes around. Well, it's, a, it's, this, it's this whole business of like, oh, the cat has issues. I'm like, right, well, we all have issues. Yeah. Solve your fucking issues, cat. I gave that cat a lot of opportunities mm-hmm. to solve her issues. I don't want to be gender specific. No. I don't want to be gender normative. Mm-hmm. But uh, <clears throat> but this cat had some issues. I don't think that they I don't necessarily gender related issues. It's so, hard, it's so hard to tell because they're, I mean, it really is, it's like somebody with a variety of physical problems and you kind of don't know where to begin, except yeah. with cats. See, the thing is, cats are, people who like cats say things like, you know, they are independent mm-hmm. or they are aloof mm-hmm. or, and I think with much respect to the, the animal companions out there, I, I think they come up with a lot of fucking bullshit excuses yeah. for having, for having a really dreadful and potentially evil animal in their house yeah now independent and aloof mm-hmm. are great qualities especially in a girlfriend or a manservant mm. like hmm. if if you're like oh yeah my manservant is a little independent and aloof that's wonderful i think and aloof. i don't i don't want a manservant uh, gro- can like, i just say add grocery aloof. store uh, cashier Grocery store cashier, independent mm-hmm. and aloof. Mm-hmm. These are good qualities. But in a thing that you are feeding and and cleaning up their shit, mm. uh, you want you want a little bit of love from that thing. I mean, this is a thing I'm going through uh, with my daughter, where it's like, listen, I'm cleaning up your shit still. Mm-hmm. I want a little bit of love. Sometimes you just gotta sit on daddy's lap. Sometimes you sit here and give daddy a hug, whether you like it or not. At least with I, a goldfish, I, I, you don't get anything from a goldfish, but at least you know it's gonna die pretty soon. Yeah, you don't expect anything from a goldfish, and frankly, you know, there are machines to clean up their shit. If there mm-hmm. was some kind of filter that I could put in my house that cleaned up the cat shit and and cleaned the air, like scrubbed the air of cat dander, I might have a better relationship with them. Hmm. Anyway, I gave this cat away to a friend, and this friend has no problem at all. He's a younger person. He has no problem at all with a cat that bites your face. Ugh. He thinks it's hilarious. And I'm like, great, well, you guys are a match made in heaven. Again, again, I think they come up, the cat people, God bless them, mm-hmm. I think they come up with every excuse in the world for, for why that animal is yeah. the way it is. They have, they have what is essentially a, the kind of animal that really should be outside hunting things and being hunted in many mm-hmm. cases. And let me just, I want to stipulate, these are being sweet, hunted, yes. sweet, precious angels. There's no question <laughs> about it. But for example, I mean, many of the cats I have known were dicks. Mm, and right. my my mom had a very dear friend, and I always dreaded going to her house for oh, for, we're, for we're two reasons. Get some letters, we're going to get some letters. Yeah, yeah. you dreaded going to your mom's well, friend's house. I'm not going to open them because that dander. <laughs> dander, dander. You can just you just run the letter under your nose, and you're like, oh, ammonia. Oh Give my god, the ammonia. Yeah. Oh, I got a couple things here. Well, first first of all, this lady she had, let's say it, and I don't want to be ping pong. She had a Siamese cat. Oh, there's no wow. Siamese cat that's not a dick. Oh, <laughs> here comes John. <laughs> but so there's two reasons, and this is the thing. This is, an, I don't want to get into the pit bull thing that, that upsets people. But here's I know the it thing: does. you're going to get letters from Will Wheaton. <laughs> Will Wheaton's got a pit bull. Will Wheaton's got one of those pit bull dogs. Some kind of dog that, uh, some kind of dog that is like fifty uh, percent of the people in the world look at the dog and say, "Oh, this is a dog that was bred to uh, grab humans by the neck 
and uh, shake them until they're dead. Mm-hmm. And then 50% of the people in the world are like, this is an animal that was bred to love. This is a companion and a loving, like, a loving, sweet, child care animal. This is an animal I would trust my newborn baby with. And these 50%, the, the one half of the people and the other half of the people are never going to see eye to eye. The 50%ers. And Will Wheaton is in the, uh, uh, if, you, if you believe his Twitter feed, if you follow his Twitter feed, he, you know, he is, a, he is a, a pit bull owner and someone who is in the, this is a, this is a love bug, this animal, this, this, um, this murderous uh, mm-hmm. combat animal. L- is, literal killing machine. Is a love bug mm-hmm. and, a, and a woobums and a noobie dooba boobums. And he's a goo goo goos. And he's, you know, he, he will write some, uh, he'll write some blog posts, as you know, which is the new, mm-hmm. which is the new. Friendship. Uh, I don't know what it is, but uh, he writes a he writes blog posts that say, "If you don't think my wubums is a nubum bubums, <laughs> then you are uh, you are an animal and a and a hate hate filled." Life is hard for former child actors, but you know, I'm just thinking, if there were somebody who was going to be a drug lord, you would not suspect Will Wheaton. I my my sense is that most of the people who own pit bulls don't don't fully realize what they're there for. Or, or maybe maybe they like that. Again, may, I'm just saying maybe he has a lot of squeak in his palatial. I'm guessing Beverly Hills house. I told you this story, didn't I? When we moved in, when we when my mom bought her house, we moved in there. The guy next door was kind of a uh, legendary drug dealer in the neighborhood, hmm. and um, it's a you know they had a big house. Uh, they have, they have a like, cool name. Uh, what was his name? You don't have to a, say, but I mean, did he have like a Carlos the Jackal kind of name? No, it was you know it's like Terrence. Mm, Terrence. <laughs> but uh, but this was, one of these, Terrence. <laughs> this was one of these neighborhoods where the houses are 100 years old. They're big, old houses. The neighborhood fell into decline in the 40s and 50s. And then there was some redlining happening where, you know, you couldn't get loans in that neighborhood because there were too many blacks. And then the neighborhood fell more into decline. And then people started calling it a ghetto. And then you really couldn't get a home improvement loan. And, you know, it's the classic American story of how we how we make ghettos uh and then of course the gays move in or first the punk rockers move in and the artists move in Mm -hmm. and they they take over these houses and turn them into like party houses and then the gays move in and then they they fix up the houses enough that the white liberals decide it's safe like the hip ones the gays are kind of uh the real estate version of a of a canary in a coal mine well you know what they are they're like they're like the um they're like the Gaia bomb in Star Trek Two or hmm. Star Trek Three. What was the, What was that? What was the Star Trek where Spock died and they sent down the? Uh, it was what was that bomb called? I'm it's really the, really embarrassed to say this. It was the Genesis bomb. The Genesis bomb doesn't Spock. I don't want no spoilers, but doesn't Spock die in Wrath of Khan? The second one. That's not the one with the whale. In no, Monterey. I think I think Spock dies in in the Genesis bomb one, which I think is three. You're good, but then he comes back. Anyway, yeah. Spoiler alert: Spock. Spock isn't actually. And, and dead. to your knowledge, Will Wheaton was not in that. Uh, as far as I know, okay. he may have been. He may have had a. He had a folding chair that said "Will," and he <laughs> sat on the set waiting for them to call. <laughs> but the Genesis bomb. The Genesis bomb is a. You know, it's a. It's actually a component of the whole Super Train project. There yes. will be a Genesis bomb. Hmm. Uh, I, I, I hate to reveal myself. I'm familiar with Kobayashi Maru. I'm familiar with Tribbles. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I say, I do know about the whales in Monterey. Could you, could you just, for an outsider, could you give me a quick sense of what the Genesis bomb does? Uh, the Genesis bomb, as far as I understood it, was a, it was a, a colonizing 
uh, bomb where the, the uh, you know, the Star Treks would fly out and they'd find like dead planets and they would drop the Genesis bomb on it and it would create an atmosphere and then within the atmosphere things would start to grow. It would happen very fast because of magic. That because is a really, really good magic. idea. Yeah. So instead of going to Mars and sitting there like drinking your own pee for a thousand years until you can drum up, you know, enough until until the mining pays for the construction of like a habitat, uh, you just fly over Mars, you drop a Genesis bomb, and then uh, verdancy happens. It sweeps across. You know, it's like it's like if you drop a, a drop of food coloring in a in a water glass. Okay. Boosh. And so the planet all of a sudden is like this incredible jungle. And so you skip you skip right over living in a bubble and dealing with hydroponics and small robots and go straight into condos. Go straight into like holy cats, this mm-hmm. place is like it's like Hawaii. The whole planet turns to Hawaii basically. Damn. Anyway, so Genesis bomb uh, what was I talking about? Well, you were you were talking about the gays being the oh, Genesis right. bomb so gays, and, the, and Super are, Train. I want to come back to Super are, Train. Gays are Genesis bombs for ghettos. And that's pretty good. You you drop a couple you drop like a like a young, uh crafty, handy crafty uh couple of gays into uh into a neighborhood and they fix up their house and then all of a sudden it's like the house next door gets fixed up and then the house down the block gets fixed up and then people like me move in and they're like, Wow, this neighborhood seems really inexpensive uh for how cool these houses are mm-hmm. and then we're fixing up our houses and pretty soon, you know, eight years later, all the little old black ladies that had lived there for fifty years can't pay their property taxes anymore because the neighborhood has become like expensive, mm-hmm. and then they are driven out by taxes to live further out, live out in the suburbs, which in the fifties were where people moved to escape the inner city. It's a constant, mm. it's a constant churning of the American churning. Uh, but so anyway, my next door neighbor uh, was a drug dealer, and uh, everybody in the neighborhood when we when we moved in, we were the first white people to, to move onto our block, and everybody in the neighborhood was like, "Oh yeah, you're living next to Terrence. He's a he's a he's a bad actor," and he walked he walked with a cane because he had been That's shot. Awesome. He'd been oh. shot by the cops, and so he he walked with a cane. But he was not much older than I was. And he lived in this house because he, his, his wife had inherited the house from her father who still lived in an attic room or something like that. But anyway, he kept his stash. And, and we became good friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but he kept his stash in an upstairs bedroom that had a little uh, like covered porch out the window where he kept a, a female pit bull chained on a six-foot chain. And she lived on the roof. Oh, God. And the roof was covered with shit because she never went off the roof. And she never wasn't on this six-foot chain. And as you can imagine, this full-grown female pit bull was furious. She was so mad. And... You could store up a lot of angry living on a poop-filled roof. You could on a six-foot chain. Six-foot is not a lot of foot. And I don't know what I don't know whether he he periodically opened the window and threw a couple of cheeseburgers out there, but but he kept his drugs in that room. So this was his strategy to keep people from jumping up on the roof and then breaking into the house. Mm-hmm. Was he just kept this dog 
chained up on the roof. Well, of course, the roof where she lived was eye level <laughs> and 15 feet away from my kitchen window. <laughs> so every time I would come, come to the sink to wash a cup, like I'm eyeball to eyeball with this, this, the, the world's angriest dog. <laughs> You know, and she's just like, rrr, rrr, rrr. you're probably the closest thing she has to a friend. Oh, she's just insane. She's just insane. Just spittle everywhere. And she, yeah, maybe she's trying to, you know, maybe she's saying like, no, she definitely, wants, she definitely wants to kill you. But that was probably the closest thing that dog had to a relationship. Yeah. And I would try, I'd speak soothingly to her. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the Humane Society on the list of city agencies I was going to call about Terrence. The Humane Society was like sixth down the list after the DEA and the and everything. But anyway, we we reached an uh, an uh, we we had a reproachment the two of us where it was like, "Hey man, how's it going?" You know, I am looking the other way while mm-hmm. you uh, while you basically run a crack house here, as long as we assume we assume a bond of friendship. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, in our little corner of the neighborhood. This is how this is how urban and and in some cases suburban America should work. Mm. We don't we don't all have to like each other. We don't have to get along on every little thing. We have to overlook these little things. And how about the lawn? Did he keep up the lawn? <clears throat> he did not keep up the lawn. And also, mm. he had five kids living there with him. Oh, jeez. So the kids were great, and I actually, you know, like. I'm oh, sorry. Uh, were they his progeny or were they rentals? They were his progeny. Okay. And I, I, you know, I kind of, the kids and I had a good, had a good relationship. And, and the, the fact about him was that uh, 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 my trained eye never detected that he used drugs of any kind. He didn't even seem stoned on pot. I think he was probably a pretty good businessman. Hmm. He did not dip into his, so, and, so he kept the level of crack zombies in the neighborhood down to a dull roar. Like he didn't tolerate it, he, he did not run a crack house in the sense of like zombies in and out. It was more like a crack warehouse. It was a crack where it was a crack distribution center. See, I so, learned this. I learned this from the Wire um, because every, almost everything I know about urban America, I learned from watching a television show. But the idea there is you you try and keep things compartmentalized at both a materiel level and a personnel level. You want to provide yeah. as much. This is why this is interesting to me that a drug lord would keep that in the place where he resided. Mm-hmm. That seems. That seems. You know. Like they well, come this in, is, you know, Seattle's kind of this, and, and and of course, at this time, this neighborhood was, let us say, poorly monitored mm. by the local police. I think once it, you call something a ghetto, you're you're saying a lot to the people who live there. You're basically saying it's a it's a it's a blank check for problems. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What the well, fuck? We and, live and, in a ghetto. I mean, what's but it you was know? a neighborhood. It was a neighborhood uh, like a lot. I mean. There's the ghettos where all the original housing have been torn down and replaced with housing projects where none of the people feel any connection to the neighborhood or to where they live. In Seattle, the, the, the word ghetto do, doesn't really apply because these were single-family homes where people had lived, had, had raised their children and were, you know, had lived for a whole generation or sometimes two or three generations. So there was a tremendous amount of house pride in the neighborhood the problem was that they were poor so and the and they couldn't get loans or they couldn't you know the, it was mm-hmm. it was the classic they're situation. old houses they're going to need some help yeah we need we need uh we need a new roof we need new siding we this, need one's, new this, one's got, this one's got poop on it <laughs> and and they would go to their local you know and they would say look i own my home 
and I just need a, a home improvement loan. And they'd be like, mm, not in that neighborhood, sorry. Mm-hmm. And so the roofs would get shitty and the gutters would fall. And, and so as you drove through the neighborhood, you would think, this is rough. And there are lots of teenage boys standing on the street smoking cigarettes. But in fact, you get to know the people and it's like, this is not, this is not a ghetto. This is a poor neighborhood. And it's a poor neighborhood where the poorness is exacerbated by institutionalized racism you know mm-hmm. for, for there's no other way to put it but so this neighborhood was self-policing you know the little old ladies didn't let terrence get out of hand because they all knew his mother you know they all knew him when he was a little kid and so he had, he'd grown up in that house everybody did this was the neighborhood Jimi hendrix grew up in whoa like Jimi hendrix's childhood home was two and a half blocks away whoa. and everybody in the neighborhood that was 50 years old all the 50 year old guys in that neighborhood all knew Jimi and played with him Played first of all, played you know uh, kickball with him, and then they all had they all played music with him. You know, you'd walk through that neighborhood with any guy that age, and he'd be like, "Oh yeah, over at this house, that's where we used to jam after school, and over here is where Jimmy, you know, like had his first beer, and you know, everybody had stories." Um, but but so at, and Terrence knew where he, how he fit into the neighborhood. He knew everybody was afraid of him, but he also knew that like you did, there were certain old ladies you didn't cross and. And I'm stepping into it. I'm stepping into this neighborhood as a guy who's lived in Seattle for many years and who has family in Seattle going back to 1880. But I also, I crossed Madison Street and went three blocks into the Central District. And all of a sudden, as far as they're concerned, I'm like, well, I'm the new guy. You know, I'm the white kid. And what am I doing there? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I would try and, explain my bona fides to everybody like oh no are you kidding i've been you know my people have been in seattle since 1860 and they're like we don't care <laughs> also you you had that tricorn hat <laughs> yeah what are you doing here Why but you didn't you like with- stand in front of their house and frown or anything well <laughs> no i mean i'm down are you kidding me no i'd i'd walk, I'd walk down the street and be like You're, you are nothing if not down i'd be i'd be trying to fist bump everybody and did you do like, like a fat albert mm, dance so you so took a little jivey walk I mean, welcome to the neighborhood and everything, but not so much with the fist bumping. Maybe you could just you just keep that down to a dull roar. But I, it's been amazing to watch that neighborhood change. And you know, now my mom is one of the little old ladies that's lived. She's lived there for she's lived in that house now for sixteen, seventeen years, mm-hmm. and she is one of the enforcers. And there, you know, there are just a few houses left, except for right across the street from my mom's house is still. The uh, the universal church of God in Christ creation, which is a a church in you know in a that's in an old mansion where the win- the windows have kind of all been covered with uh, with plywood, but they still have they still have rousing church services in there twice a week. Wow! So you know it's still. I think if you were. If you were a real estate person, you would still drive through that neighborhood and say it was in transition. Mm-hmm. But uh, boy, it has tra- well, it has transitioned, and and the first transition, the first major transition happened when Terrence set his house on fire, <laughs> and it burned. He he installed what was the story? He installed an electronic security system, but he had a friend install it. <sighs> And it shorted out at one point, and 
sent a fire up through the stairwell and you know fire it probably had ancient wiring for one thing oh and that's exactly what happened he, his friend installed a new security system on some knob and tube wiring and just you know i'm sure just like put some elmer's glue on it or whatever <clears throat> so the house burned down or not burned down it just it was damaged by fire if i were terrence i you know you know i would probably seek out people that i could pay in product where if they would work it privately for me you know what i'm saying i'm just if you if you get a cracky electrician in, in an old house i mean that's kind of a recipe for disaster my feeling is the worst job well, the, the the thing I I like to hear about the least is when I when I know someone is a crackhead and it turns out they're also a locksmith. <laughs> like that's a that's a bad job. What a, what a terrible combination. That's a bad job for any drug addict to have, and I don't mean bad for them. I mean bad for society. I want my locksmiths. If there's one job I want, I, I want to walk in and see like a Christian fish on the wall mm-hmm. or. You know, or a Latter-day you, Saints. You want, you want it to be somebody who's very tidy yeah. and maybe a little bit taciturn. Super ethical, won't, mm-hmm. won't copy but a, a, a lot, says, asks a lot of questions. Like, yeah. like, like, a, like, well, if TSA people were competent. Like, mm-hmm. somebody, somebody who's going to ask you some questions. Like, when I came to Seattle, they noticed my driver's license was expiring soon. I appreciated that. I don't like it when people touch my balls, but I do like it when their job is to notice things like that, and they do notice it. And in that instance, you get somebody who pulls up in a, in a well in a well maintained vehicle. It says that they're bonded, whatever that means. Yeah. Now, how, have you ever considered becoming bonded? I'm not really sure what's involved in that. I should let you finish the story about Terrence. Now, did they get the dog down, or did it uh, perish in the conflagration? No, the the dog was on a part of the house that didn't burn, but That's they good. but they got their insurance. Did, was, did the dog have any water damage or smoke damage? <laughs> there was some smoke damage. <laughs> Uh, and they they joined the exodus of people from that neighborhood who were moving out of Seattle and down to Renton, where rents were still cheap, where uh, property taxes were still low, and it was a it was a tremendous thing that happened between the '90s and now, where what had what had been a, this core, super tight neighborhood, uh, and absolutely a black neighborhood going back. Going back to the founding of Seattle and a black neighborhood that was where the where the the city you know in, enforced it at a certain point. Like it was it was originally it was a neighborhood that formed around a very successful black hotelier who moved to Seattle at the at the very founding of the city and and f- started a hotel and was a very successful guy and built himself a beautiful house in this neighborhood. And so as you know as Blacks moved to the neighborhood. They were encouraged to move into that area. Hmm. And then at a certain point, the city was like, well, if you're black and you're moving to Seattle, you have to move to that area. And it was a, it was a, a gradual creeping change that happened where pretty soon you couldn't rent or buy outside of this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And it became, a, it became an, this incredibly vibrant neighborhood incredibly powerful culture it's where quincy jones came from man it's where it's where hendrix came from it's like uh ray charles got his start playing music in this in this neighborhood um and anyway the the entire neighborhood now is just has been kind of culturally decimated not by anything except this sort of influx of middle class whites that are like hey these houses are pretty good actually and so cheap 
And so the neighborhood, little by little, has all moved to Renton and places far beyond, kind of down here where I'm living, too. But so Terrence moved, hmm. and the people that bought that house and poured 500 grand into rebuilding the fire damage were, were the classic couple, uh, the classic sort of white Seattleites. He is a psychiatrist, and she is a videographer. Hmm. A videographer. The ultimate job. She, video, of, she videographs. The ultimate job that is not a job. <laughs> the videographer. Whenever I open up the Sunday supplement in the, uh, in the Seattle Times, and they are featuring some new architectural house on the lake, you know, like, oh, this is modern, you know, green construction Super loft with heated poured concrete floors. I think my friend floors. Mike Davidson did that. I think he built yeah. a very fancy, like over the top fancy. He has a blog about the building of his crazy house on a lake. Yeah, and then as you read the description, one of those people, the husband or the wife, is always a videographer. That is super interesting. Which is code for hmm. rich parents. Hmm. I think we get that here with with things. Hmm. So there's this there's this really unlistenable thing that they do on KQED called perspectives, where people do a little five minute <laughs> editorial, and there's some people who they, do they play Pockle Bell's Cannon? <laughs> dong dong dong. <laughs> no, I think it's like the Brandenburg Brandenburg Concerto or something, uh, a little water music. But they um, but uh, it's it, there's code I think in these. I've listened to these for so many years, and uh, you know, and now a perspective from you know. It's always like a lady with a hyphenate name, mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 you know I think there's there's code there's code names there's code jobs you know code job yeah, yeah I mean it's funny because I, I like as somebody who has considered himself from time to time a writer um, I, I think a lot of pe- a lot of people especially professional journalists and authors don't mm. like the word writer. Because it really doesn't tell you much about what that person does professionally. And I think they look down their nose in the same way that probably a physician thinks that somebody with a PhD in medieval studies shouldn't call themselves a doctor, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, no, when someone says that they are a – something like they are a a writer living in Marin County. Uh Uh-huh. I think that's the Marin <laughs> County version, or there are, you know, it could be there a Potter. Like yeah. I think that Mr. Ramsist. Like that's kind of. I think that's the our version of videographer. Yeah, he's a blogger. She's a ceramicist, <laughs> and here's a and here's a spread <laughs> in Architectural Digest of their eleven million dollar home. They had a couple investments that really, really, really paid off. So ceramicist, you say? That's oh, what so- I tell people at parties. When I meet people at a party, and I and and you get into that L.A. thing where they obviously want to parry over status. Yeah, I will frequently tell people that I'm a ceramicist. <laughs> they say, uh, "Hey, uh, how's it going? Yeah, whew, man, this place is crazy. Oh, line for the bar is nuts. So, what do you what, what do you, what, what do you do? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a I'm a producer because, of course, everybody in L.A. is a producer. Whatever the fuck that means. I say, "Oh, I'm a." Uh, I'm a, I'm a ceramicist. And, and the nice thing about that is I, I don't really want to try to describe to them what I do yeah. because they wouldn't be interested. Right. Now, here's the beauty part. If I tell them I'm a ceramicist, I got to tell you, like like mm, seven out of ten times, the conversation ends because I got right. nothing for them, right? That's right. That's right. But they, but but you can sometimes meet somebody super cool that goes, what the fuck do you – you're obviously not a ceramicist. And I'll say, right. oh, I, I make dick jokes on the internet. Oh, they're cool. Me too. And you can have a conversation with them. Yeah, it's, it's right. It's a, it's, an, it's a great filter. It's like a cheesecloth that only the, only the best uh, 
The best part of the wine gets through. Hmm. That's true. It's like a, it's like a employment decanting. And now in the nineties, this, this stopped being useful. As you can understand, I used to tell people, they'd say, what do you do? And I say, uh, I do stuff with computers. And right. that was plenty to stop the conversation because yeah. nobody cared. <laughs> yeah. 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 Even in the nineties, even in the nineties, yeah. you could say, if I'd said, yeah. if I'd said, I make things for the internet, then I would have had, had to listen to them talk about, you know, keywords in AOL and stuff like that. But you say you do things with computers, you know, no, nobody cares. I think you said that to me and I was like, hmm, next. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then you were like, but I love Sloan. Oh, I was like, mm, next. I do love Sloan. And you're like, no, no, I really love Sloan. You guys remind me of Sloan. And I was like, oh boy. Yeah, yeah. I've compared you to a lot of bands that you're not that crazy about. Yeah. No, you you are you are sui generis. Hmm. That'd be that's better. By the way, that would be a much better name than Trey Boucher. <laughs> sui generis. Sui. <laughs> so so um, I, yeah. I don't want to provide too much uh, triangulation here, but you've mentioned on a couple occasions that at a point not too long ago, I'm guessing the house on the other side became kind of like a flop house. Right, or it became like a not transient, maybe, but it seemed like there was a lot of people kind of coming in and out of that place. Was it that house or the one on the other side? Yeah, it, it, it's it was the house. It was it was the house on the other side. The house that that was formerly owned by so, Terrence. so the videographer. The videographers are still in Terrence's house. Well, no, they they then sold. I swear to you, I am not kidding. They sold that house for nine hundred thousand dollars to a guy, to a French guy who owns a restaurant and his wife, who is like a high, a a big shot lawyer, $900,000. This is a house that when Terrence owned it, it was worth $80,000. And Uh we are talking about a span of 10 years. That is bananas. Totally bananas. The house on the other side is the biggest house in the neighborhood. It's a, it's a massive house owned by a Seattle cop who grew up in the house with his seven brothers and sisters. And his father owned a local service station. And he was one of these guys that he just sort of, he bought houses in the neighborhood as they came up for sale because you could, I think even as late as 1995, you could buy a house in that neighborhood for $20,000. Oh, like so, a, like maybe like a distressed property kind of thing? Not even. Just like, oh, I really? want to sell my house, $20,000. That's what houses were worth. Nobody, I mean, Jeez. real estate was just uh, nothing here for years. And so this guy that owned the service station, he owned a lot of houses in the neighborhood, but this was the house where they grew up. And so the cop... And his family, uh, as the oh, as the old man got crotchetier and crotchetier, and the houses around were selling, he was like, "I'm not selling. I'm never going to sell that house. Screw you." And he wasn't putting any money into it. He, but he didn't want to sell it. And they were renting it. There's a college nearby, and they were renting it to students. And little by little, it just got. It was being rented by rinkier and rinkier <laughs> groups of students. Because you know what you do is you get a person that moves in, then his five friends move in, mm-hmm. and then four of them move out to better places, and the rinkiest guy stays. And this, this, this is this is this is a very interesting economic phenomenon. Like it's never there's never going to be like a, a guy. It's not going to get better. It's not going to be like the next guy who comes in is the guy who always does the dishes and trims the lawn. It's always right. going to move downward. It's moving downward. Because moving out of that house is the way you move up. Exactly. Moving out of it is like, I'm not living in a group house anymore where I have to have a padlock on my door. I'm, I'm getting a, an apartment a with poop, my girlfriend. poop on the roof just two houses away. Just two houses away. <laughs> so the house, the group in the house, you know, got, got worse and worse and worse until it was the type of thing where, uh, 
you know, you would go over there at four o'clock in the morning. They'd be in the backyard, like banging on fifty-gallon drums with mallets, <laughs> and you would say, "It's four the fuck o'clock in the fucking morning," and they would turn around and look at you like you were crazy mm. for coming over. Did there. they ever buy themselves a cup of Marcia? Well, so my mom is my mom is real good at at uh, you know managing situations like that, and they all loved her and would do anything she's anything she asked. But my mom also sleeps. She's one of these people who has a, a white noise maker mm-hmm. in her room. Big, I'm a big, big believer, big believer in that. So she turns the white noise maker on, and you could they could be landing seven forty sevens on the street, and she would just be like, doop to doop to do. But I am not a white noise maker. I am a everybody in the neighborhood be fucking quiet after a certain hour. Mm-hmm. That is my because you know what I'm here to help people, mm-hmm. and one of the things I like to do with college students is teach them how to be members of society. Mm-hmm. Your education so, starts when you walk off that fucking campus. Yeah. That's right. So I would. Walk and also, over you do. There. Some, I mean, if I may say, John, I think uh, not to say too much, but I think you do some of your your highest level thinking at, at three or four in the morning. I absolutely do. Mm-hmm. You need quiet for that. So I was over there regularly, it, right up in people's faces. Like, do you know what time it is? <laughs> do you know how little I care? <laughs> Were you wearing scuffs? <laughs> I, I I tried out a whole lot a whole lot of different. I would put on a wizard hat sometimes. I, <laughs> Sometimes I I would dress as a ring wraith and go over there and oh, and uh, and I would say uh, uh, you understand that no one that is older than eighteen years old cares that it is St. Patrick's Day. You understand that, right? It is not actually a it's holiday. Not a real holiday. Cinco de Mayo is not actually a holiday. You understand right. that, right? It's not even like Valentine's Day. It's just a, it's just a shitty day for... That only gets circled on the calendars of alcoholics. Yeah. In Mexico, they do not celebrate Cinco de Mayo in hmm. this way. The only people in Mexico who celebrate Cinco de Mayo are people who have lived in the United States and brought it back. It's not a holiday <laughs> to them. It is not Mexican Independence Day. You are making a mistake. It's a day commemorating the victory in one stupid battle against some French... And that no one That's celebrates, not a victory. No That's one not celebrates victory. victories against the French. Come on, <laughs> except uh, Agincourt, and that was the French against French. But I mean, the odds are pretty point. long on that one. They, that you was know, that was a pretty good one. And I'm I'm explaining this. I'm explaining this to people uh, uh, around a burning fifty Did gallon. You carry drum. a copy of Henry Henry the <laughs> with you <laughs> at four o'clock in the morning, and uh, you know. And there were a couple of times when I, you know, I had to like grab a mallet out of someone's hand and say, <laughs> "I'm going to put this up your ass." Were they, were they really hitting like drums? Oh, you know what I mean? It's like it's like yeah. they think they think that they are living in a part of the city where their uh, modern primitive philosophy can really be put into action because they've got three heritage chickens in the back. <laughs> that are, they, got, they got the sink stoppers? They got sink they, stoppers in their ears? They got sink stoppers in their ears. They got three heritage chickens and you know, and, and, and the, the heritage chickens are going to last exactly as long as it takes the raccoons to figure out how to pull the stick out of the latch and get into the chicken coop and it's going to be a bloodbath and everybody's going to be sad because they named the chickens and they're their friend. And you know, and I'm over there, like, trying to explain civics to them. And, like, do you see your college? We can see it from here. Do you see it? It's down the street here. Fuck you. You're not on the college now. You are here in a town where people are living, me included. Mm-hmm. I am the mayor here. And one of these guys actually got a, a Ken Stringfellow came over to my house one day. And some guy came out of that house. He was all hopped up on goofballs. 
and Ken, in his way, made some off-the-cuff kind of uh, waspy joke to this guy. Like, oh, I see you have some stink, sink stoppers in your ears. Uh, that must be handy uh, when the when the when you are trying to wash the dishes blah, in your blah. head, <laughs> boy, or whatever. And this kid got right up in Ken's face and was screaming at him. And I was on the phone or something and, di- and didn't catch it in time. And it the, a fight was averted, but it had a profound effect on Ken. I it, I don't think it had. I don't think someone had been in his face screaming at him in many many years. Ken didn't know there were consequences. Well. Ken was used to living in a world where a snarky, like uh, a snarky comment Ball made out of the side of your mouth mm-hmm. was enough to devastate a room, and everybody would go home and think about their lives and wonder, you know, if they, if maybe they should just give it all up. You know, Ken was used to like kind of owning his universe. He has a he has a a, a presence for sure. He's a very smart guy and a very witty guy. And he travels the world in a in a kind of he travels the world in such a way that everywhere he goes, he is surrounded by people who already love Ken Stringfellow. So he was not used to confronting people in the world in this way, where he's just like, "Oh, I see that you are," and the kid's like, "What the fuck did you just say to me?" And right on his face, and you know, by the time I got off my phone call and made it over there, it the damage had been done, and I was like, "Hey, this guy's a friend of mine." Don't yell at him in front of my house. You go over, you go be on drugs in your front yard. And the guy's like, well, all right, but you know, you know, and Ken is like visibly like shell shocked. Like, like the the kid never touched him, but Ken looked like he had been slapped with a kid glove. And it was, um, yeah, it was a rough time uh, in that neighborhood because the transit transitions can go a lot of different ways. And in this case, it was transitioning toward, um, to, toward bad zone, but now that house, I swear to you, is home to an entire bicycle polo team. That's so not a, that's not a real thing. It is, but it was invented in Seattle. Uh, People play polo uh, on old tennis courts on their fixie bikes. Uh, God. And it's a very I'm so fucking angry right now. It's a very amazing sport to watch. But it, I think it's sweeping the nation. If it's not sweeping the nation, it's only because the nation it cannot cannot handle the truth that's did, coming up. Do they have yeah. special attire and little helmets or anything? Um, it you know it's it is a it's a variation on bicycle messenger culture, which already has its own <laughs> set of kind of modern primitive slash gearhead slash vegan mm-hmm. Occupy Wall Street uh, gutter w- w- punk. willfully willfully filthy. Yeah, it's a kind of it's a kind of like gutter punks who are not so committed to the cause that they actually want to live in a gutter like they want running water i totally buy that when people are 18 or 19 i just when i see people in their 40s who are doing that it just makes me sad well these guys are all in their i th- I, I i suspect they're in their 20s and they're doing it's the like same it's like the, it's like the guy in his 40s who comes to a punk rock show say i say that as a guy in his 40s but when like there was this one guy this one uh skinhead in uh tampa who would come to all the hardcore shows and and he was like in his 30s late 30s probably yeah, and he just yeah. seemed ancient and it was just always like oh it's you know that guy with the converse you know well, now i wonder about this merlin because my all through my teens and 20s and even 30s there were those guys that haunted the outskirts or uh, of the music scene and sometimes like managed to get themselves you know they're always real friendly people and they managed mm-hmm. to get them, insinuate themselves into 
kind of close to the center of of certain little little adjunct rock scenes these guys who are like who are conspicuously too old to still be dyeing their hair mm. conspicuously too old to still be wearing bell bottoms and i i remember all through my my youth in rock you know feeling that mixture that you're talking about that same mixture of kind of pity and contempt for these guys where it's like really are you serious what are you doing here shouldn't you be working in a bank or something i like, don't know shouldn't what... you be being an adult somewhere yeah right 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 and now that i'm 44 i don't what 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 was clear about these people was that they did not have they were not seeing themselves in the mirror you know they would look at themselves in the mirror and they'd be like haha you don't think it's just good. simply that they didn't care i don't know i honestly don't know like whenever I see, I, I tweeted about this not very long ago. Whenever I see a, a man my age wearing a Paul Weller haircut, mm. I'm like, no, 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 no. Especially, you are especially not with mod. like frosted tips, you are not mod now. You are you are in your 40s, sir. Mm-hmm. Stop having your hair done that way. That is not <laughs> appropriate. But you see these guys, and they're like, you know, they've got a they've got a 19 inch neck, and they're wearing a Paul Weller haircut. They're and they're wearing clothes that only fit on someone with a 29 inch waist. And the thing is, what they don't realize is that first of all, Paul Weller today he looks super fucking cool. Mm. He looks great. He's like Nick Lowe. He like he is. He's a cool looking old guy now. He looks like he's carved out of wood. Well, yeah, like maybe some driftwood. But <laughs> some uh, but but what, what that guy's thinking with his own body mis- dysphoria is that what it's called? He dysmorphia. thinks he looks like Paul Weller, but he doesn't realize he's actually closer to Elton John. Yeah, yeah. He looks like a he looks like a large clam. <laughs> that, <laughs> that someone pasted pubic hair on. Yeah. And what I what I don't what I'm afraid of is that I have a similar like I am forty uh, four forty four and I go to rock shows and I stand there with a with a look of uh, thinly veiled contempt for everybody and I have a and I cut my own hair and I'm wearing some dopey hipster glasses and I don't know if I look like I am which is the coolest guy in the town or whether I look like maybe I actually am, which is a big, dumb, dope 44 year old hanging out in a rock club who should be working in a bank by now. I cannot, I, I cannot say for sure. I, I would never want to try to talk you out of uh, a painful experience in self-realization hmm, because okay. I, I, I I get the sense that that's a, a valuable um, journey for you. Yeah. I enjoy those very much. <laughs> but first of all, I think we should stipulate that there are various types of two old guy at a rock show. There are every, it seems to me almost every community has a, um, a savant, uh, or, or some kind of a like super fan that everybody knows is probably a little bit autistic or right, something, right, sure. Sure, like, sure, sure. I, I, you know, and he gets to sing along on stage. Yeah. He's been to every show of every yeah. day. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah. And I mean, he's, he becomes like a mascot that everybody kind of tolerates. There's, there's, there's certainly, there certainly can't be, I'm thinking of almost like Matthew McConaughey and dazed and confused. There, there is that kind of predator feeling right. character. Right. But again, I don't want to try to talk to you, but, but obviously John, I think you are an elder statesman of that entire community. People look that, to you for guidance and wisdom. That makes me feel better. Thank and I, you, and I think, I think one direction to take it is that really you are there 
to to have that look on your face and to mm-hmm. make people really think about whether they should be on stage at all. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or you know, I'm, I don't know. I mean, maybe not for every show, but I mean, the thing is, these kids need leadership. Uh, you know, they're basically they're they're two months away from being in a backyard banging on fucking drums. Yeah, you're right. You know, a lot of them just, sh- it's not inappropriate to, to be in a band. And, you know, and here's the other thing now. A lot of these people today, they have completely inexplicable haircuts that, that, true. that, 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 that maybe somebody in England should have for a little while before yep. they wise up. But the fr- I got a big problem with the frosted, the frosting. I don't like the frosting. It takes too long. Not the frosting on the beater, but the frosting on the tips. Not a fan. One of the things that I, I feel, one of my jobs in Seattle is to demonstrate to people, younger people, the, uh, how the appropriate way to wear corduroy and tweed. Mm-hmm. Because you see a lot of young people, and they're like corduroy, tweed, and then they get it all wrong. You're like a you're like a professor of corduroy. It seems like you have you see subtlety and you you feel in that in that in that uh, whistling. Like yeah. you, you, there's something there's something there that you, that you are tuned into that other people are just playing with, and you must see that sometimes and go, "That's a costume. You're not wearing corduroy appropriately." Yeah. If you if you if you are properly wearing a corduroy blazer, the tips of your lapels should curl up a little bit. From where the jacket has been rained on multiple times. Hmm. If your lapels are lying flat, we can see that you've never worn it in the rain. This immediately calls me out as a, as a corduroy uh, piker because mm. uh, I, I think uh, is that I don't know if that's ping pong, but I I feel like I would be worried to wear corduroy in, in the rain. Not worried, but I would be. It would be concerning to me. I would want I would want to have a shell over the corduroy. And well, you're telling me thing. that that's this is this is like you're just you're you're working it in when you're yeah. in the rain. If you don't wear your corduroy and your tweed in the rain, you're not wearing it. Doesn't that make you smell like a Saint Bernard? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. If you live in Seattle and mm-hmm. you don't smell like a Saint Bernard. Hmm. Then you're too precious. You're not doing it right. Mm. Hmm. Also, if you if you live in Seattle and you wear suede of any kind, it had better look like you just escaped from a fire. You know what I mean? Like suede is not an appropriate fabric for the Northwest because at any moment a squall might like knock you off the dock. Hmm. You can't the, the just power, walk- the power goes out. Mob rule. Right. And, and you're going to be wearing inappropriate uh, clothing. You're wearing for a the... jacket that needs to be brushed. Oh, yeah. Give me a break. So you can wear suede in Seattle. It just has to look like it has to look like somebody, uh, somebody just like cut a, 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 the head off a cow with a with a uh, uh, like that scene in Apocalypse Now. Mm. Uh, hmm. uh, uh, not a cow, an ox. An oxen. Then. Like someone, someone had, had to have just chopped an ox mm-hmm. with a machete and cut 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 sleeves in it, right in front, uh, and then yeah, right, and and made you a suede jacket. That's the only way. That's the only way you can wear suede. In this well, this 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 uh, this is probably as good a time as any for me to bring this up. Then, because you recall that when I was in Seattle, uh, what a couple of weeks ago, you remember I bought those dad shoes. I bought comfortable dad shoes. Yes, you did. And then I made fun of them because of my large toe box. <laughs> Right, but here's the I don't thing: think, not everybody made fun of you. Yeah. I thought they were. I thought they were perfectly. That shit story, it was a little frustrating. They they they, uh, they didn't check check out my feet with a Braddock device. They yeah. had me stand on a computer, and the guy gave me some notes on my posture. A computer Braddock device, and then he he talked about your posture. Oh yeah, here's the thing: <clears throat> you go to this place, and they, they they had a good selection there, which which I'm going to come back to. But he says, well, let me just let's just check and see. Uh, let's have a look and uh, check out your shoe size. Okay, so far so good. And also, this will he tell us a little impediment. bit. Did he have it? Was his tongue pierced? <laughs> he had a Capitol Hill impediment, and and uh, and so I stood on this thing, <clears throat> and yeah. then I, I saw what looked like a functional MRI. 
And I went, beep, boop, 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 boop. They said, well, you do, you do tilt a little bit to the left. <laughs> Tell me something I don't know. <laughs> he said, and so because then he dressed to the right, right? You have to like, I dress, uh, I, I dress left, which is a little unconventional, oh. I think. But then when he brought up the shoes, he also brought some orthotics. You know, I mean, that's well, like, he's like a doctor. I mean, that's like, that's like when you bring a, well, show lady some makeup, you also give her a card with a Botox person on it. Like, I don't want to, don't show me orthotics. But anyway, long story short, I ended up buying these dad shoes yeah. because they're supposedly like good in the rain. But can I tell you what I first held in my hand and almost bought was, uh, was your brand was, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Clarks. I my my wife likes your shoes and she has yeah. been encouraging me. I at one point I know you you got free Clarks uh, yeah. if memory serves. <clears throat> and I said I said to the guy these these desert boots or whatever they're called. We call them chucka boots when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I said these don't fare so well in the rain. He's like no 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 you do not want to wear those in the rain. Now but you okay so here's the thing. Tell me tell me about is this is this part of the larger uh, apocalypse suede? Like you just get used to those things being all beat up and and your sho- your feet being wet? Yeah, this is the thing. I mean <clears throat> Now, I understand there are cultures in America where you wear white tennis shoes and you clean them with a toothbrush every night. Mm-hmm. But in, in, in my opinion, in Seattle, if you are going to wear some Clarks that are made out of suede, they're going to look like shit after a while. But looking like shit is a wonderful way to look great. Mm. If you can, if, if you, you can do it, look, if you do it with style and authenticity, yeah, that's right. If you look a little bit like, I mean, and this is ultimately a, a large portion of what we consider American style, by which I mean Tommy Hilfiger and Ralph Lauren and all these kind of like classic men's stylists in America. They are they are one hundred percent stealing English men's style and just stealing it whole cloth, bringing it to America. And making it a little crasser, a little just more base, and then selling it to the masses. And everybody in America, and everybody in Japan for that matter, we're all dressing like English country gentlemen, mm-hmm. except with our, but the, except the, our pamper, the, pamper, the pampered sons of industrialists. Yeah, we, we, are, we, are, we are dressing like people who are walking over our estate with a couple of golden retrievers following us mm-hmm. with a double-barreled shotgun under the crook of our arm waiting for a pheasant to take flight like everybody in the country like preppy is just a version of this american preppy is just a version of english country hmm. well my feeling about it is that english country is a great what is a great jumping off point for fashion but you have to actually look like you're walking across a muddy field with two golden retrievers behind you, mm-hmm. with the with the with a with a rain falling on you, like if you if you try and look if you try and look too groomed, if you try and protect your suede shoes against the rain, you are being a fop. It mm. is the, it is the wrong that is wrong by my standards. But mm-hmm. then again, I have never ironed a shirt. When it, when somebody shows me an iron, I always think, "What is this? What is this thing?" Why would you? Why would you? Why would you have? It's that? certainly not the kind of that? thing you would want to have to depend on. It's heavy. It's unwieldy. It's sharp. It's hot, and and you don't want to have to drag that around with you in order to feel like a gentleman. You know, a friend of mine took his girlfriend camping in the in the Olympic National Forest uh, a few years ago, and she was a sort of a city girl, uh, 
and not used to this experience, but he was trying to bring her into his way of thinking. Like, I'm, a, I'm an outdoorsy guy. I'm a camper. Like, come with me. I'll, I'll show you what it's like. And she, he, he shows up at her, her house to pick her up, and she has a suitcase, first of all. Hmm. But he's like, okay, all right. Baby steps. He puts the suitcase in the trunk. They drive out to the forest. And he realizes, you know, that he is, he's going to have to carry this suitcase to the campsite. But it's, he, he's, it's a, it's a, it's a gradual thing. He's, it's kind of almost car camping. They're going to drive into the parking lot and just, they just have to walk a little ways to their campsite. They can take multiple trips to the car without, without inconvenience. So he's okay. He's okay with the suitcase. So he carries the suitcase. They set up a tent. He builds a fire and she opens her suitcase and she has packed a hair dryer. Mm. And, and to me, that is, that is how I feel about a clothes iron every day, even mm. living in a house. Like I see a clothes iron and I just feel like that is like bringing a hair dryer on a camping trip. You don't think there's something slightly sweet about that? Oh, it was incredibly sweet. And I think that those two are married now. Uh, and uh, and have lived happily ever after, and it's a wonderful example of like um, opposites attract. Because because here's here's what I well, so first of all, in addition to the fact that it reminds me of uh, that very sweet movie uh, Moonrise Kingdom, it, it it also makes me think of what I wouldn't want. So he's Johnny Outdoorsy. So like, first of all, he didn't. It sounds like he didn't ask her what she wanted to do, mm. right? Or, well, or, but I think they. I think up until that she point, was into it. Up until that point, he had been catering to her desire to eat I fancy see. fancy meals and go to go to go dancing at the oh, disco. So she's she's really more like a cat. And this was this was one of these like, hey, let's let me show you what I like to do, you know. And I think I think they have I think they have uh, they made it work. I, I th- this was not a story trying to poop on their romantic. No, uh, no, no, no. But 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 uh, but um, I guess here's what I wouldn't want to see is somebody who goes to REI. And spends fifteen hundred dollars on gear, right? That without e- even you know, just and so she opens up her her her. Uh, I don't even know a, a oh. name. A North Face, a North Face yeah. pack. Even though they can't yeah. be trusted, yeah. yeah. And it's Has, full of brand new Patagonia everything. Brand new, and there's like three different kinds of shoes for different. Where obviously they realized they had one on the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. That REI is super nice too. I bought well, but, I bought a jacket. I really liked it. That REI. That's a nice REI. You know, I uh, that's like I, the, that's like the flagship REI, right? It is. Yeah, and I've been a member of REI since 1977, and my dad was a member of REI the the, the very very beginning. The, he was you know in the first handful of people that joined REI, um, and I feel like REI has become a place that I don't recognize. I mean, I used to I used to buy everything there. And now I go into REI and I walk around and everything is supposed every everything is trying to wick sweat off of me, like I you know I'll, I'll, I'll touch a garment and they call, it's like, they call on my my wife now when she runs she wears what she calls technicals yeah you, exactly you've got, you've technical got, stuff where it's, yeah. it's like stop wicking me I don't want to be wicked I want to have a I want to have a coat and the coat is like no 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 I have all this technology I have this I'm you know wicking is the least of the things I'm going to do to you. And I'm like, I don't want a coat to do things to me. Mm-hmm. I just want a jacket that has, that has snaps. And they're like, no, we don't use snaps anymore. We use this high tech, uh, the polypropylene, uh, Velcro that never, you know, and I'm like polypropylene ve- Velcro. That doesn't even make any sense. I want a button. <laughs> Give me a fucking button on my coat. 
No, no, yeah. no. We don't need. We don't have that anymore because when you're because when you're summiting Everest after running a, a, a like a triple marathon, you're going to be perspiring and you don't. And we need to wick that sweat off of you. And I'm like, that's not what I'm wearing this jacket for. I'm not going to summit Everest. Mm-hmm. And no one who buys it is. Oh, they, they, they. I think they get. Uh, this is just my, my as somebody who is an outsider who was not there in 1977. I think they are heavily trained to make you feel like you're fucking Sir Edmund Hillary. Yes. Like when you go in there, or maybe maybe Tenzing Norgay, like you're supposed to really feel like you're going to do something very important in these clothes. I don't think clothes. you're ever supposed to feel like Tenzing Norgay. He was, you know, he was working. He did all the heavy lifting, right? He did. He had a. Is, that, had is that true? I, I heard. I heard Sir Edmund Hillary was was a hardy guy, but the, really, it was it was Tenzing. I don't think that you can get to the top of Everest even now, even even the even now that there's a quad lift to the top of Everest for rich ladies. I think you can have a Sherpa carry you. I think you still need to be kind of a badass to get up there. I don't care. I, I you know. Yeah. I read into the void or whatever, but but you still have to be pretty tough. But uh, but yeah, the Sherpas like they go up and down that mountain. But he didn't need wicking. He didn't need any. He had like a funny hat and a smile. And here's the thing: you go in, and and I think this is it's all it's all a very it's it's again it's like pole dancing. You go in there, and you are part of a transaction where both of you know what's going on, even if you're not admitting it. And so you go in there, and you're like, uh, you know, you're Johnny Fleece vest, and you're like, well, I need to get some technical gear for some extensive camping. I'm going to be, you know, walking a quarter of a mile from my Land yeah. Rover. I'm going to be right? sitting on the tailgate of my Volvo and eating. And yeah, eating, uh, eating, eating, eating soy eating. hot dogs. Yeah, <laughs> and so I think this plays straight into the systems that they sell you. Now, the guy, the guy, the, the, the guy who wanted to sell me orthotics, I think he's used to offering people a suite. Yeah. Like I never let him get to the socks, but I bet there's socks too. So today, I'm sure you're aware of this at these places. You go in there, and they knowing that there's a story that you want to tell yourself, they mm-hmm. can convince you that you owe it to yourself to buy this multi-layered clothing system. You don't right, buy a right. fucking jacket. You buy a system. Right. And so you start out with this wicking material. You buy a fucking $50 t-shirt yeah. so it'll wick. And, and the arms zip off and the pant legs zip off. John, it's a tactical shirt. In case you're in the jungle. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. so, but you go in there and, and like they're dancing on a pole and you're, you're throwing out the singles and, yeah. and you walk out of there, you run your card and you walk out of there and you get to really feel like you've gone somewhere very rugged where carabiners are going to be very important. Mm. Even though you mostly use it for the keys to your Volvo. It's so annoying. And it's why I have, if I buy any new clothes, new outdoor clothes now, I, 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 I just buy them at Filson. Filson is another Seattle uh, Seattle company, and they were founded to provide outfitting gear for the original, like, people going to Alaska and mine gold. The original Chilkoot Charlies, who were leaving to go, you know, at the turn of the century to go mine gold in Canada. Filson made them all their wool blankets and hats and jackets. And Filson is this company where they still, their, their, their flagship product is a pair of canvas pants that have been, that have been dipped in cold wax. <laughs> it's a wax pants. Wax pants. And you put these pants on. <laughs> that and sounds they, very uncomfortable. <laughs> they feel like they are made out of wet galvanized tin. <laughs> and the the longer you wear these <laughs> pants, the more they conform to you, and you can you can actually go sit in a mud puddle. <laughs> and and believe With me, your, you got your pan. You, you got, you got you, that's right. You got your pan, and you are sifting for your 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 pan. You got a for sluice. Gold. You got a, whatever that is. You got a sluice. You got your sluice, 
and you are sitting in a mud puddle in these pants. And let me tell you, Merlin, having sat in many mud puddles hmm. in these pants, you are not comfortable. Hmm. The pants are impregnated with cold wax, and that does not feel good. And in a cold puddle, you feel not that great. But you you are as you are as God intended. Hmm. Nothing is wicking. There is no nothing is flicking or or unsticking. Uh, there's no ventilation of any mm-hmm. kind. You are there. It doesn't. Some, the, the wax pants don't breathe. The wax pants. The wax pants don't breathe. You are not meant to wash them. The care. The care. The little <laughs> tag. A, all you. All you need is a minute and a hose. Yeah. The care tag <laughs> on the thing says, "Don't wash these. Fuck off. And whatever you do, don't put them in the dryer. Don't iron them. Leave them alone. Leave them alone. Like if they get dirty." The next time you wear them, that dirt will provide an extra layer of protection, you know, and it, it, it's, uh, so anyway, Filson is the, the, they have not succumbed yet. And then this wax impregnated canvas, they use to make suitcases. They use it to make, I mean, so I, basically I they, buy they, a blanket. they take things <laughs> that other people sell, the, the kinds of things you could buy at a store and they just, they dip it in wax. Yeah. That's you right. could get a wax cup probably. You get. I think you might be able to get a wax cup. Doesn't they wick. also have wool? They don't dip the wool in wax because wool already has wax in it. Lanolin. I oh, I see. You got organic lanolin from the organic, sheep. Organic wax that doesn't need to. You know. So the the care the care instructions of these things. And the thing is, in the Northwest, when you go out and you see a guy like a, a telephone lineman or an electric lineman who's up a pole or a guy whose job it is is to all winter long stand knee-deep in water with a shovel in his hand. <laughs> a lot of these guys, the young guys are all wearing, you know, probably Healy Hansen uh, fishing gear or, or a bunch of North Face crapola. My wife but, has a Healy Hansen uh, yachting jacket. Yeah, that's that's it's got right. like a, it's got like a, it's got like a, a special sleeve to put a rope through. Oh, sorry, a line, guys, a line. The, the like the 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 fifty-seven-year-old black dude who has been a who's been a lineman right. for thirty years in the Northwest. He is wearing Filson head to toe, and that's how you know that he is a that he is hardcore. That's hmm. how you know he's the real deal. When I see guys, when I see like older than me guys in Filson around here, I'm like, hmm. Mm-hmm. I try and give them a fist bump, and most of the time they won't accept it. No, they shake hands like a gentleman. Yeah, they're like, what the fuck are you doing? John, I, I don't know where to begin. Well, I don't know why. For some reason, maybe it's just being near you. I want to buy clothes. Yeah. And I outfit myself when I come to Seattle. I don't know why. I'm not a big clothes shopper. Right. I, own, I own five pairs of Levi's 501s, and that is it. Yeah. Now, now, now I, think, I think I should get just a small amount of credit at the appropriate authenticity level for how how I wear the fuck out of some 501s. I don't hmm. wash them for six months. I That's sleep right, in do. them. I sleep in them for the first five nights. Yeah. And, and I don't and take them off. I don't take them off. You have your, you have your space pen and your wallet and mm-hmm. your other, your keys or whatever. And uh, if you take your pants off and stand them in the corner, yeah. you can see the outline of your space pen and your wallet where they have been worn in. Yeah. To the, uh, the pair that I'm wearing today, I will send you a photograph of these. Uh, they're just shy of the crotch blowing out. So yeah. I have the pocket on the right side has blown out. Because yeah. the thing is, pants will, will tell a story about your life. 
That's true. Whether you like it or not, it will show you that where you carry in your case, in my case, my, my iPhone, there's yeah. an outline, the, the outline wallet in mine, you can actually see, I have a, like a taxi driver's wallet, you know, it's got yeah. the little flap and uh, you can actually see where the snap is. There's like a white I, spot. I, where I have the, the same is. wallet because you gave one as a gift. You got rid so, of that uh, big trucker wallet you used to keep like $6,000 in. I did because it, and the uh, foreign currencies. <laughs> it was causing me, it was causing me back problems, <laughs> but you gave my mom one of these taxi wallets. Uh, as a present one time for having stayed at her house and she i came over the next day and she was like merlin gave me this wallet and i was like what a thoughtful gift and she said i'm never gonna use this i don't wear i don't use a wallet i love your mom and she was like you you take it and i've been using it for the last 10 years i just replaced the one that i just replaced i checked because i went to amazon it's i think it's so fun to go to amazon and i search for something to buy and it says this order shipped on may 5th 2004 so i can actually tell i've had this wallet whatever that was it was but it was 2004 i've had this wallet for eight years and it fell apart i just got a new one but uh but no here's here's how to wear 501s i should just tell you quickly though my first rei experience this is very quick was uh, i think we it was dot com days when i was wearing a lot of tactical clothing for some reason yeah we went you need, you need it when you're sitting in a uh, Aeron chair. <laughs> you need to be able to zip off those legs in a you, half a second. You never know when you're going to need to commit some code real quick. you got to be able to move quick. Mm-hmm. You might need to unzip the bottoms of your pants in Menlo Park, California. Mm-hmm. So I went into the REI probably after probably a $200 lunch. and But it was I did have the presence of mind to go in there. And I was completely I, – I laughed out loud. This is 1999. I laughed out loud the entire time that I was in there because yeah. even then it was obvious that this was farcical. Yeah. This, this so it's, like a, it's a keychain, but it's also a flare gun. <laughs> But it's it's a, only a slightly more sophisticated version of a of a morbidly obese man in a football jersey. Like you don't play football. What are you doing? Take that off. <laughs> yeah. It's official. Yeah. It's official NFL. You know. Yeah. It's like no, it's not. You have you're, a canister of bear spray. <laughs> you're a, you're the. When quarter- are you really going to confront? <laughs> you're a the bear. quarterback of Pringles. Take that yeah. off. Yeah. So I go in there and I said, I just I want some like like you know like like low key like hiking boots because it's just comfortable like something I can wear around that's you know water resistant. Right. And uh, the guy's like, well, oh, this one. Uh, it has great torsion control uh, and it wicks away harbors and it's uh, authentic artisanal laces. He's like, maybe you want to walk around on this fake rock and see if they work. And in the loudest voice I could without sounding like a sociopath, I said, ah, these are webpage making shoes. <laughs> <laughs> and he he didn't know how to respond. I don't think there was a tab in the binder for a guy who knew he was a poser. Like, how do you respond to that? It's one thing to come in and go like, oh, I need a new carabiner. Yeah, yeah. Versus yeah. You know, the guy who goes in there and he's read lots of outdoor magazines. He was unprepared for a thin-boned man who knew he was a fraud. Yeah. I remember walking up the stairs at a youth hostel in uh, Vienna. And it was one of these youth hostels that had probably formerly been... Uh, well, it was it was a it was like a collection point. <laughs> no, it was originally like a Habsburg uh, like administrative center, and then uh, yeah, I'm sure during the war it was yeah, it was some kind of um, yeah, Jew hut. It was a it was a place it was a place where they where they uh, where people with clipboards walked around uh, Me- measuring noses. <laughs> yes, yeah, saying uh, saying oh, we gassed a lot of people today. But, uh, but so <laughs> big wide staircase. And I'm walking up this staircase in the middle of the day, and it's a very busy youth hostel, and there are probably 60 people on the staircase at one time. People going up, people coming down. It's like four flights of stairs, but it's a big winding staircase, so you can kind of see, you can see people all the way up and all the way down. And it feels like you're really walking up the stairs of a grand hotel at the height of the Gilded Age. All these people, it's, a, it's lunchtime, people coming down, people going up. And I'm halfway up this staircase, 
and people are talking in German, they're talking in English, they're talking in Swedish, everybody's, it's an international group. And some guy, but people are just kind of burbling. Some guy says in a very loud voice, every single person on this staircase is wearing cargo pants. <laughs> and everybody on the stairs looked, and sure enough, everyone, including me, was wearing pants with cargo pockets. And a, a sense of like mutual shame descended on us all because everyone had giant pockets on the sides of their pants and not a single person had anything in those pockets. Like we were all wearing cargo pants and that was how we... Like a, maybe was, a guitar pick or some Tylenol. That was, that was individually how we each had elected to express that we were travelers. Right. And it was like going to, it was like going to a, a, a punk rock show in Orange County, California, where every single person in a 700-person capacity show is wearing uh, not Chuck Taylors, but Jack Purcells. Like if you're wearing Chuck Taylors. That's the black ones. The black ones with the little little smiley face on the on the toe. I, I I was at a show down there at this place called the Crystal Palace or whatever the Crystal Room, Crystal House, Glass House in Orange County, and I I I, I had to actually drop to one knee to verify <laughs> what I thought I was seeing. And I dropped to one knee and looked at the shoes of a, a huge room full of kids, and there was not a single kid in the place that had a different pair of shoes on. And it was like, we have all decided here what the uniform is. And in this one instance, it was, we were all wearing cargo pants. And unfortunately, I was not able to rip those cargo pants off my body at that moment and burn them on, on the staircase in an expression of like, <laughs> tear how off ashamed your, Tear I was. off your own pockets like Sergeant Stripes. <laughs> yeah. How ashamed I was to be dressed basically like a sorority girl. <laughs> but from that moment forth, I stuffed my cargo pant pockets with things you know i was like i'm gonna so it is so unflattering and it's really not a convenient place to carry things i'm sitting here trying to think like i have worn in the in the uh in the rei webpage booth period i went through this thing where i was buying like 60 dollars cargo pants that were like uh real tactical like Mm -hmm. 555 or whatever like this i forget what the company's called but they were like hipster like oh you know what they were i I would buy cargo pants at fucking um what's that super annoying store uh you know the chain not not american apparel but the one that sells it's like almost like anthropology Oh, what's that? Oh, oh, you know the annoying uh, one that sells fake old things. Oh, you're talking about uh, Urban Outfitters. Urban Outfitters, yeah. and I was buying artisanal cargo pants. And, and as I sit here right now, and it had all kinds of hooks and shit. I don't understand yep. my backpack. I have an amazing Tom Bin backpack that's like one of the greatest backpacks in the world, and I still don't understand what all the straps are for. Yeah. And, but in this instance, I was walking around and like it was normal to have all of these clips and shit on my pants. I don't think they knew. I think they were just laughing and, and putting and putting loops on things. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly what they do. They're like, I know. Let's put a loop right at the end of the knee and then we <laughs> like a, a place where if you clip something there it will actually inhibit your ability uh, do you have uh, do you have a uh, let me ask you this do you have a do you have a pant with an integrated knee loop and then but i'm sitting here and thinking like it's one thing to be like you're describing like the the wichita lineman kind of guys who are up there and they right. need that kind of stuff because they're doing work but yeah. like i honestly as i sit here i don't know what you're supposed to put in cargo pant pockets 
You know what they are? An they iPad. Are, a small, like are, an iPad mini would fit in there. They are modern, the modern equivalent of, of Malcolm McLaren's bondage pants. <laughs> they're, they're deliberately unpractical and yeah, a little they're, overpriced. They're, they're, they're like plaid pants with, uh, with bondage clasps all over them and, and like some straps that are but running. But they're shittiest pants and they'd be useless for bondage. Shitty, shittiest pants and terrible. And you know what? If you want to practice bondage with somebody, yeah. first thing... Get the pants off. Yes. You know what I mean? You're not yes. going to fucking bondage somebody you with pants You should not tie on. up a person in pants. No, get the no. pants off and then mm-hmm. tie them up. Check them for tattoos. Listen, this is just standard stuff. No, this is, this is, this is day one kind of stuff. Well, I when was gonna... I was growing up, Levi's 501s, of course, were the only pants. The only pants that you could possibly wear. And I... I, I, I I turned into a teenager right at the point that people started fucking with their jeans too much. You could go to the it, county seat and buy stuff to put in the washer with your pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You bleach your pants. And this is even this before Stonewash distress. This is, but but right. you wanted faded jeans. It was you not cool. To look faded. It right. was after designer jeans had come and gone, and we were back to the basics, so to speak. Where you go yep. and you'd buy, you know, weathered pants. You buy these jeans, you'd throw something in the washer, all that stuff about how you're supposed to put your pants on and sit in a hot bathtub. I do that. Yeah, well, you're, you're a child of the 80s. Yeah, but then but, I, but, keep, I keep wearing them. Wet. But this I go before, to bed with them wet. I know. You go run into the ocean. I'm but hard, this I'm was hard, before hardcore, Black dude. Levi's. This was, you know, this, this turning point moment. And, and, and what, what burned into my head at that time was that the coolest thing, the only way, really properly, to wear a pair of Levi's was a pair of Levi's that had the ring of a chew can in the back right pocket mm-hmm. where your chew can, you'd been carrying a chew can back there until you had this ring in your jeans. That was, and that was, uh, that was SOP where I'm from. SOP standard operating procedure. Oh, standard operating procedure. Absolutely. And everybody, everybody had a, can- I mean, even if you didn't do it, even if one of those pussies that would throw up when you had a little bit of fucking skull yeah. bandits, really, yeah, and yeah. you'd still walk around with that in your pocket. Yeah. Or you'd, but you'd buy a can of big league chew, yeah. Uh, which was a, which was bubble gum and carry it back there until you got that ring. And in 1983, 1984 in Anchorage, Alaska, mm-hmm. you had a ring in the back of your jeans. What you guys have up there? Kodiak? You like, like the minty ones? What'd this was like? before Kodiak. Everybody, you, you chewed Copenhagen or nothing. Copenhagen is the way to go, but a lot of people, this Kodiak is kind of the, uh, is, is a lot that gets the best ratings. Kodiak is a longer cut. It's a, it's got more sugar in it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, and when Copenhagen you know, introduced the, uh, they introduced the, you know, the the long cut. There was, you know, well, the the, uh, the rumor, of course, with Kodiak was that they put a little bit of um, put a little bit of like fiberglass insulation. So in so it, it would it would cut your lip and you get more of an effect. That's right. Now, so you, you can cut your coke. You can cut your coke with uh, glass, right? Isn't that a thing? We all we all we all we all talk about this like it's absolutely true. But I have no way of independently verifying. You can't possibly put fiberglass insulation in, in chewing tobacco. That can't be real. I think that's one of those spider eggs and bubble yum things. Yeah, we all say it. But you anyway, know what you can do is pour bourbon in there. Never occurred to me. No, it's pretty good. I chewed tobacco for a long time. Me too. And I really enjoyed it. Um, it's, the, it's the most addictive thing in the world. But then I had to, I had to quit it when I quit the other tobaccos. <sighs> You've gone on and off cigarettes, too. I, I, was, I was amazed to see how quickly you go on, and then you set it aside. Leave it. Oh, it's hard. I, I used to, you it's know, really there were times fun. when I would, have a, I would have a huge dip of Kodiak in my mouth and I would light a cigarette. Totally understandable. Yes, except that it is, you, it's basically like taking your stomach out and kicking it down the road. Mm-hmm. Like, you do not feel good. 
Yeah. With that much nicotine in your body, you feel terrible, but you also feel great. <laughs> you feel great, yeah. But I'll tell you, man, if you get some red man and a little bit of bush beer, that's North yeah. Florida, buddy. That is North Florida. That's some that's some way down upon the Swanee River. All right, I'm gonna skip over the jeans. Um, can you can give I tell me... you that I actually sorry I was in North Florida and I, I I came I was driving in a car and I came to a bridge and the sign said Swanee River mm-hmm. and I said. Su- Suwanee. Suwanee River. Mm-hmm. And I said, whatever the hell else I was doing today, yep. I am not doing it now. I am turning left and I'm driving to way down upon this river. Mm-hmm. And I drove for miles and miles and miles down weird swampy Florida place where everybody or the houses are all built on stilts. And I drove and drove and drove until I got to the mouth of the Swanee River and I parked the car and I got out and I walked until I was standing there with my feet in the water and I was like haha yes check I am way down upon the Swanee River Next. It's, it's not particularly distinguished <laughs> as rivers go no and uh, then there, there was like a little sh- like a shitty little community of people living in boats there in Florida <laughs> I've like, wanted to do that I've wanted to be part of one of those communities it was a place where at any moment I expected Burt Reynolds to like jump a car or jump a jet boat. Or oh, what, you're talking, like I'm sorry, you're talking about boat. like Wakulla County type shit. Okay. Yeah. I expect yeah, yeah, there'd yeah. be some kind of revenueers chasing a moonshine. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's dicky country. Yeah. No question. But I got out of there. I was like, there's no, there's no, there's, there's a lot of things to be disappointed about in Florida. I, you know, there's a lot of things that seem, I mean, this is true everywhere. Really, really anything where they're trying to attract you off of a highway, you know, I think there's going to be a certain amount of snake oil to it. Yeah. Well, but, but this was the thing about, this was, I was actually kind of surprised about this. They, did, was, they didn't have like souvenir shot glasses. No, it and spoons. was clear. It was clear that no one was interested in people coming down here to be way down upon the Swanee river. Hmm. Like there was not, there was not a way, there was no place to park. There was not a, there was not a, there was no facility. There wasn't a Suwanee visitor station that no, was playing was no banjo sign. music. Mm-hmm. There was not even a general store. It was just some people living in boats and some houses on stilts. A cracker barrel in an ATM. Nothing. Nothing no, of the kind. No cracker barrel. And I was like, I am, here I am. My whole life I've been saying way down upon the Suwannee River. Here I am. I would like a, I would like a flag. I would like to get a postcard. Not a, not a chance. There were people peeping, peeping out from behind their curtains going, what the hell is that? Why the hell is he here? He looks like one of them hipsters. <laughs> one of the river newers. Um, I don't want to obsess about this, but can you just, uh, in the time we have remaining, can you give me just a very rough general idea of the place the Genesis bomb would have in Super Train? Oh, interesting. If you, in as much as you can say, because I mean, it's, well, you don't have to talk about it. I mean, it's, it's, it's your, it's your system, but I'm very intrigued by this idea because from reading comic books and science fiction things, I'm aware of, in general, the complexities of going into a new culture, a new environment, having to deal with that hostile environment. Again, you know, deliverance, great example, but you know, having to go in somewhere where you really don't belong and then, trying to make it like where you're from uh, uh the scene in apocalypse now uh redux where they they show the scene with the french colonialists oh i hate that scene they could have left it out i hate apocalypse now redux you do why because apocalypse now is a perfect thing it's pretty good apocalypse now is perfect it does not need any reduxing mm-hmm. you think it was smart to leave that scene out it's a little bit of a distraction. Smart. It's like the poppy was, scene in uh, Wizard of Oz. Like you can do fine without it. It was smart to leave it. all the scenes out. The scene where they are huddled with the Playboy bunnies in the rainstorm does not need to be there. Yeah. The extra scenes with Kill Gore, Kill Dare, 
Stadium. Oh, the extra yeah. the Robert Duvall guy. Uh, doesn't need uh, none of that needs to be there. Mm-hmm. All that needs to happen is that at some point, Martin Sheen says, "Don't get out of the boat. Mm-hmm. Never get out of the boat." I also like Harrison Ford's Extreme Prejudice. He's pretty good. Yeah, you know they shot that out of sequence. You've seen that movie, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You've seen Hearts of Darkness. Yes, great. Great. Yeah. Everyone should see it. If you're listening to this program, you should go watch Hearts of Darkness. John, does, I, I just have to guess that movie. I'll just say that it resonates with me. The idea of having a project that seems pretty doable, and then yeah, you, start, you, start, you start doing it, <laughs> and then pretty soon you're, you're sitting there with, covered with flies, like rewriting on your manual typewriter every night and screaming. Yeah, it becomes deeply, deep, profoundly undoable. <laughs> and your actors are tripping. Here's the thing about the Genesis Bomb. If you watch Star Trek Three. The Genesis Bomb is a giant planet remaker. Hmm. What Super Train is going to need is more of a Genesis mortar. Hmm. Where we, you know, we are recycling as we go. We are we are churning the the, uh, the all the old dumps. We are churning. We are recycling other trains. As we pass them, you know what I mean. Like there are mm-hmm, a lot mm-hmm. of rusty old trains. That iron can be put to better use. We need to. We need to. We need to get all the precious metals and the and the cooking oil out of those rusty old trains. And then as we leave, we'll just boop, lob a little Genesis mortar. Oh, I get it. It could even be a little bit like a Genesis grenade. It's a Genesis. It grenade. could be. This is like a six, or maybe like a one-block area that needs to be a little bit more habitable for Super Train. Yeah, we we paradise in our wake. Did you just invent a transitive verb? Mm, we paradise. Huh. So we paradise. We come through. We are we are helping people. We are solving problems. And then in our wake, we're lobbing little Genesis grenades, and we're paradising as we go. <laughs> It's like it's like a John. It's like a super train apple seed. So, just like, do you have a do you, do you have a saucepan on your head? <laughs> <laughs> you have a wax saucepan. <laughs> 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 now Stephen Foster.